Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is ministry kind of on the edges of the church, involving ministries that, that touch people who, who sometimes are shunted to the side. We're calling it Ministry to the Marginalized, and my guests are Megan Wall and Michelle Attar, and they participate in ministries. And you all are doing something that we've never had happen before, and that is we have two ladies on the panel by themselves. I am in the minority. That's never happened <laughs> Ooh, before. Nice. So, <laughs> so, uh, so well. Welcome. We're really, really pleased to have you and looking forward to our discussion of, of ministry in the church. Megan, why don't you uh, tell people uh, kind of what you do and how you got into the ministry that you have at Stonebriar? Okay. I am the pastoral leader of special needs at Stonebriar Community Church. So I oversee a special needs ministry from birth through adults. So we have about 100 families that fall into that category. I started just because I took um, a job with Colorado Easter Seals whenever I was in college hmm. and fell in love with um, working with children with disabilities. And so then whenever this position came open, it was kind of the perfect fit of working in a church and then getting to take that love and my degree is social work. So it all just kind of melded together and kind of formed the perfect job for me to so, what does Stonebriar def- define as special needs? What kinds of what kinds of uh, people are we ministering to in that category? We have um, children and adults with both developmental delays and physical disabilities. Mm. So, um, anywhere from spina bifida to brain injury to um, autism, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, kind of the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. Most um, start as children and come up through our program. We have had some adults who have had a traumatic brain injury who then become a part of our program after that major life event. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, and most people don't even think about this in relationship to church. That's why we're doing this. Michelle, why don't you talk about what what your experience is in this area, as well as talk about how you uh, serve at Bentry Fellowship. Well, I am at Bentry Bible Fellowship. My husband and I have been members for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Before, when we first joined the church, I wasn't on staff. Mm -hmm. So um, it's actually because of mental illness that I have even explored the idea of being in ministry. So I've been on staff at Bentry for 15 years. Currently, I'm community pastor. And at Bentry, we minister to adults in geographic areas. So I have a geographic area that anyone who lives in that area, um, I'm their pastor. Um, so I'm really enjoying this position. I've had several at mm-hmm. the church. Um, as I mentioned, um, my husband and I have been married for 30 years now. Mm-hmm. It'll be next year. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, as you know, if you've been married any length of time, it's a it's a commitment every day. It's a journey. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So because of our journey with mental illness, Mike was diagnosed with bipolar when we were seven and a half years into the marriage. So oh. it's been yeah. over 20 years now hmm. that he was diagnosed. We were already at Bentry, or we were heading. We were right. Yeah, we were at Bentry then, and that period of learning about mental illness was an adjustment for us both, and took us during the time of exploring what is this that we've got going on and beginning the care process, helping Mike be stable. Um, it caused us to jump out of the careers we were in mm. in order to focus. 100% on the illness. And the end result of that 
was both of us now are in ministry. Hmm. I'm in the church. Mike has, runs a nonprofit organization. Hmm. So it was hard, um, but it's been good. We both will say um, it was a hard process that was helpful for us both spiritually and also turned our direction hmm. from corporate America to ministry. Neither, neither one of us would really have looked this direction. So how, how, are, how are special needs handled at Bentry? Because not all churches handle this the same way. Yeah. We actually have a special needs ministry as well mm-hmm. um, for the same group of people that Megan mm-hmm. ministers with. Okay. And, that, and then as far as mental illness, we'll get into that more, but the, the pastors tend to handle the, the folks that are on the fringes mm-hmm. that are living with mental illness. Mm-hmm. I see. So the community pastors ha- ha- do the relational part of, the, of that ministry? Mm-hmm. I see. Well, th- this is a challenging area. There's no doubt about it. Um, what do you – you know, I, I think this is this is an awkward area for the average person walking into a church. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they probably have very little experience with this. I know I do. Uh, and. And so it's like when it comes up, it's like, okay, where does it fit and how does it work? So, so tell us a little bit about how, how to view special needs for the average person who's walking into the church, and then what kind of needs does the church have from the average person in the, in the church for uh, special needs? Mm-hmm. Megan? You know, it's very um... – it's a very unique situation. People come into our church every day who have special needs. People are around us every day who have special needs. Mm-hmm. With the autism rate now being 1 in 68, it's hard to walk anywhere and not encounter a child who has special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they're there amongst us already. Mm-hmm. What we're trying to do at the church is to encourage our church members to treat them and to love on them as individuals who were created in Christ's image. Mm-hmm. So regardless of whatever else they see or whatever else they're doing, if they can love them like Christ has asked us to love them, then a lot of that other stuff can just go by the wayside. So it's almost like trying to take away all of the things that you see, all the things you've heard about special needs, and just really look at an individual for who they are. Now that's a big process, and right. it sounds very easy initially. Right. Um, the first thing that we tell our um, members who ask questions is to befriend the family, to really go out of your way to talk to mom if you notice a child is there with special needs, mm-hmm. and just encourage and love on mom, and to ask questions. Our parents love to be asked questions. Mm-hmm. They would rather you ask than to assume or to give stares, mm-hmm. and so they are more than willing to um, have conversations and to talk about their child and their diagnosis or behaviors that might be happening to really clear the air of any um, any preconceived notions about what a child with um, special needs might be doing or not doing. And so we encourage our members to ask questions, to really to develop a relationship, and to try to walk along that family in whatever way they can to support and encourage and just to be friend. Um, our families feel like they're walking alone a lot of times mm-hmm. in in the world and even in the church. And so just have another family say, you know, hey, would y'all like to go to dinner? Would you like to do lunch? Can I bring dinner over one day? Or can our children play? Mm-hmm. Um, just to normalize that as much as possible is probably the one thing that um, that our families would say to a family who is asking, what can we do or how do we respond? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so support is obviously a very Absolutely. big, big uh, concept Absolutely. in getting to know the family and getting involved with them and, and being there to help. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michelle, what, what do you? I would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. At the very start is we need to love each other well. And um, people with mental illnesses who are living with mental illness tend to act different than the rest of us, differently. Mm-hmm. Um, their responses and conversations sometimes are awkward. They don't interact in the same way. It just it feels different to everyone. Mm-hmm. So when it's different, we tend to shy away from it or be afraid of it. Um, the challenge with um, folks living with mental illness is trying to incorporate them. and that happens with the rest of the church, not with that person. Mm-hmm. So it's really an exercise in learning how to love well. Um, I, I keep thinking about how Jesus said, the world will know that we're disciples by our love. And as it applies to special mm-hmm. needs and those living with mental illness, I'm not sure that we've done a good job. I know we haven't. And uh, we have. there's a high learning curve And uh, as far as learning what loving looks like. You mentioned something about um, joining with the family and doing those typical family activities. Mm-hmm. I would say the same thing. You know, if you can befriend a family that has someone living with mental illness, um, it might be a spouse of a, a person that you know, or it might be more often it'll be a child, maybe even an adult child. Mm-hmm. And think of that family like you would a family that has someone that's sick, mm-hmm. uh, taking a meal to them, or asking some the, the caregiver out for coffee. You know, doing the typical friend things that you would do with someone who's really struggling because they are. And it's a marathon struggle that's right. not going to end in a few weeks. It's it's going to be a, a lifetime. So um, that's what I would say is number one is learn how to love. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, now how do, you, how do your communities deal with these families in terms of small groups, because both of you are in large churches where mm-hmm. you're encouraging small group involvement as well. How does that, how does that happen for, uh, for, for, the, for this particular area of special mm-hmm. needs, Michelle? Yeah. Um, it's so important for us to have relationships mm-hmm. with one another, and that's important for the entire population, even though those that are living with physical challenges as well as mental challenges. Um, the, the challenge with folks living with mental illness is because they relate differently. Sometimes they can't concentrate as well. Mm-hmm. They may not be as alert. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes we even wonder if they're even understanding. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a huge area of challenge for our church. Because we focus on small groups, people with mel- mental illnesses are difficult to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not appropriate for the group for them to be part of the group because they could pull the group off, off ta- task or um, so much care is needed for one person that it takes the rest of the group away. Mm. Um, as I've explored those options, because it's a challenge at our church, um, typically we've had 12-step programs um, or we've had – we always have one-on-one. As I mentioned, we connect mm-hmm. everybody with a pastor. So typically we try to connect someone – first of all, they're in the church, so we want to connect someone with Jesus. So well, you know, we want to make sure we find places in the worship service mm-hmm. for people on Sundays. We want to connect them to our groups, and we want to connect them to a pastor. Um, in our church, too, we also have caregivers that are lay people that have been trained. And that's very appropriate to connect with someone one-on-one. People with mental illnesses often have a high need for relationship. They mm-hmm. need someone to mm-hmm. relate to them. And um, having someone assigned to them who has a passion for loving on people well is a great way to incorporate or to give that person who's living with mental illness a relationship that really can work with them. Um, what I've been exploring is looking for groups that have formed around the country that have included mm-hmm. people with mental illnesses. How, do we, how can we do that better? 
And one I've found, which we haven't tried at our church, is um, the Mental Health Grace Alliance. Mm. I'm very excited to explore um, that organization more. They're based out of Waco. And they have included the Bible with the small group um, experience and made it normal for a group of folks who are living with mental illnesses of all different kinds to be together Mm -hmm. and to explore their faith Mm -hmm. together and support one another. And then another kind of a group for family members. Um, Family members need support Mm -hmm. because, as I mentioned before, it's a marathon, and it's so draining, so Mm -hmm. emotionally draining. Um, The family, lots of times, it's it's parents, and Mm -hmm. you never leave your kids. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always, and as they enter into adulthood, you've got years ahead of you, and those poor parents, they can't look at the years ahead. They need to look at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, providing support groups for the moment for the parents is so helpful. Megan? Yeah, I would agree. Um, we do we kind of do a dual ministry at Stonebriar. We mm-hmm. have an inclusion ministry as well as a specialized ministry. And so we will have some kiddos who, who can include in typical environments, um, you know, the typical youth group or the typical club environments or small group environments pretty well with or without a buddy. But then we have some of our kiddos who really can't integrate into a typical environment without being a harm to themselves or others. And so we really try to balance those two ministries. However, even with the specialized um, specialized classroom model, we still integrate them into the church body during some portion of every activity. And so on Sunday mornings, they'll integrate into our large group, so they're still a part of the church body. They're not segregated in their own classroom and never seen. And we really try to make it a point that even though they can't um, do very well in a large group setting for a full hour mm-hmm. to take them in for five minutes or ten minutes so they can get that experience, but more importantly, so that all of those other children can experience the love that these kiddos have. Mm-hmm. I have a typical um, five-year-old and eight-year-old, and to see them growing up being surrounded by special needs, mm-hmm. not only because they're with me at church mm-hmm. and in ministry a lot, but in the schools, that's how it is now. There are not specialized classrooms um, much anymore. They mm-hmm. are completely integrated. And so their view on life and on children and on what makes us different is totally different than my view was when I was growing up in elementary school because they're seeing these kiddos integrate with them and they just know that you know my buddy over there just likes to jump up and down every once in a while Mm -hmm. to us we're categorizing that as Mm -hmm. autism Mm -hmm. but to them they're seeing that as oh that's just what he likes to I like to play with Ninja Turtles he likes to jump up and down Mm -hmm. so it's it's really interesting to see how our kiddos are the ones who are really integrated and taking these kids and making them feel like a part of the team um, without even having to discuss it. It's just what's naturally happening. So we're seeing that kind of as those kids grow. Now in our youth group, that's happening, and we're you know we're seeing that now happen with our young adults, and and hopefully down on the road we'll see that the church just comes alongside and. It isn't them and us and that group and this group, but it's just we're a body of believers, and we're going to incorporate. And yes, our group's going to look different from time to time, 
And yes, sometimes we're going to have a have, have to have a conversation about a cat for mm-hmm. about five minutes longer than we'd like. But <laughs> that's just who we are, and that's how we're all made different. But we're mm-hmm. all made to still worship the same God, and that's the common thread that's going to hold those groups together. Oh, I would love to add to mm-hmm. that too. That that the incorporation into the current groups is also, I think, the ideal. Um, one thing that we're exploring right now is because of our learning to love. I'm really impressed that. That's my role as a pastor is to equip people to mm. to recognize that that people living with mental and physical illnesses are not problems to correct, but they're people to include. And if how can we think better about including someone who's awkward into our groups and then have a regular conversation with the group leader about, okay, whatever instances come up, how do we integrate that better rather than mm-hmm. exclude exclude that person from our other types of groups? So I would, I would agree with Megan that we want to have a couple types of groups, one which might be people that are in their own group with like-minded people, people struggling right, with mental illness. Right, because that's definitely needed. It's yes, definitely they understand needed. each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That serves a purpose. But then for the entire church body, integrating those groups also serves mm-hmm. a huge purpose. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree with you. So God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So uh, when when special needs ministries form, obviously you guys can't do everything that's involved in that. That the, the church has got to come alongside. So I, I take it, do you recruit volunteers? How does that how does that process work? Because mm-hmm. it seems to me that some people are inclined to say, "Hey, I you know I have a special sensitivity or special gift in this area. I'd like to serve." How does that happen? I think Megan just We do. Yeah. We recruit. <laughs> we always need volunteers, but it's amazing that the Lord always brings them to us. Mm-hmm. There is always someone sitting in the worship service thinking, you know, I really just, I don't know why, but I want to work with people who might need a little bit more help mm-hmm. um, than my kids or than my loved ones. And, and so we're always having people come up asking to help serve. And I think it's also because of the joy they get back. When you're working with a child with autism and all of a sudden they say the word Jesus, mm-hmm. you can't help but tear up and think that, you know, what a moment that was and that you got to be a part of that. Um, we've also tried to, you know, make it a bigger picture in our church. So a few years ago, we have Special Needs Sunday every year. Mm. Um, every April, we have a big Sunday that highlights the special needs ministry. A few years ago, we finally made the proclamation that we are no longer a church with a special needs ministry. We are a special needs church, mm-hmm. meaning that a family with a special needs child or adult could walk into our church and any number of contacts um, would know that they are loved and that they are appreciated and would help them find their way. 
I can't walk with every family through our building, mm-hmm. you know, waving the special needs flag, right. saying this child has special needs. If they're going to melt down, don't look. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay. I can't do that. But our families know that they're going to be loved and accepted, not only in our ministry, but also in every other ministry from the church. If their child is running through the parking lot, there's someone in the parking lot that's going to help. If their child is having a meltdown because they don't want to walk into the worship center, there's an usher there that's going to help. So we've tried to create the idea that every single person in our church is what drives the special needs ministry. They're the hands and feet of that ministry. And if they're not doing their part Mm -hmm. in loving and welcoming and being encouraging to these families, then our families aren't going to come back no matter what kind of ministry we have. Mm -hmm. But that it also goes beyond our church into the community. If they're in line at Kroger and some child is, you know, having a meltdown at Kroger, are they going to look at the mom with the eyes of, ooh, you know, you should really parent better, I can give you some good books for that, mm-hmm. or are they going to look at them with love and with acceptance and maybe do something to help like they would in the church? Mm-hmm. So we're really trying to expand the vision from just being a ministry and just being volunteers who minister in that ministry to it's a whole church thing, and everyone who comes to our church is going to have a hand in that. Now, what I want to do with kind of the remaining time that we have is kind of split it into two parts because we really are dealing with a wide variety of of scenarios and situations, but we're also dealing with two, I would say, very distinct age groups. We're dealing with with kids on the one hand who have special needs, and then the other category, which you've alluded to, Michelle, is an adult, particularly an adult who didn't perceive themselves as having special needs mm-hmm. and discovers that they have special needs. And mm-hmm. actually, both groups in some cases go through a, a similar process in that some people are born and you know they have special needs from the moment mm-hmm. they're born. Mm-hmm. I mean, spina bifida is an obvious case. But in other cases, it's, it's the process of discovery and mm-hmm. I would probably suggest um, disappointment, frustration, whatever mm-hmm. comes mm-hmm. with that that realizes my kid is not like everybody else's kid mm-hmm. and and the process that that goes through. So so explain that a little bit, Megan. This is your area. Um, how does that how does that work and how do you how do how can churches help people through that particularly difficult journey of making the adjustment from seeing yourself as a normal family to realizing I've got a special needs situation and I need to accept that I have a special needs situation, which may actually be in some ways the hardest step. Yeah, and I think it's a continual step. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the the thing is to really – Talk and walk with the parents and find out where they are because they're they're going to be at different stages at different times. Some families, once they finally get that diagnosis, it's a relief because they've been thinking that they've been doing something wrong mm-hmm. for three years. Mm-hmm. But then the doctor says, actually, your child is on the autism spectrum, and mom just relieves. There's something, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a plan. Mm-hmm. There's groups. There's a track. Some parents are on the other end of that spectrum, and they get that diagnosis, and all of a sudden, all the dreams that they had put in line mm-hmm. through that 18 years have now just crashed. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a grieving process. And with any grieving process, it's going to be different for every person. It's going to move differently. It's going to speed up at times and come way back at other times. So it's all about developing that relationship and allowing the parents to grieve when they need to grieve Mm -hmm. and to not hold them to a strict timeline of saying, well, your child was diagnosed 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. You've had 18 years to deal with this. Mm -hmm. You should be past this or this should be okay. This is your new normal is Mm -hmm. what they call it. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're watching other parents give their daughters away at weddings Mm -hmm. and their daughter is the same age as yours and you drive home with your daughter sitting in the back seat Mm -hmm. thinking that you're never going to be able to give your daughter away at a wedding Mm -hmm. that's hard Mm -hmm. and that takes you back to that day of diagnosis Mm -hmm. and so we really we try to develop relationships with our families to pair them up with couples who have walked along that road before who might be a stage or two ahead, but then also just with people who love and are willing to walk through the journey with them Mm -hmm. and willing to let them cry, let them get mad, let them ask those tough questions like why. Mm -hmm. Why did God do this? Why would he create this? Why would this even be a possibility? But to not ever put any boundaries on that other than to love and to keep them moving forward. Mm -hmm. However that might look, it's going to look different for everyone, but we try to just love and move and move. And if we move back a little bit, we try to move forward the next time. But there's no exact plan in how it goes. Um, just if you just remember as a parent what it's like to find out that you're pregnant and then to find out you're having a boy and to think about all the things that are going on. And then think about what that would be like to find out that that's not going to happen. So if you can put yourself in their shoes, even for just a split second, that helps walk alongside them whenever they get that diagnosis. Yeah, I think developing the sensitivity to Mm -hmm. and and developing a church that has a sensitivity to people in this situation, because I... Christians tend to be fix-it people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, that's what you want to do. That's yeah, easy. that's exactly right. You just, let's go in and fix this. Let's let's remove the problem. Let's remove the pain. But this is something that is not going away. It's not going away. Yeah, and so uh, you know, the new normal is is that you, is that you're in an, uh, a situation that's not like most of the situations around you, and you've got to be able to cope with that. You know, that in the U.S., we have an interesting perspective that everything needs to be whatever normal is and we we are a fix-it type of church so we we want to keep moving toward that if you visit third world countries there's a whole different way of living with the abnormalities of life Mm -hmm. that's those are much more easily included Mm -hmm. in other countries you were talking about expectations when you have a baby and the the dreams that you have for your child I have so many conversations with people that are having to deal with the disappointment of my husband or my child mm-hmm. has this is now diagnosed with this mental illness. How am I going to? How do you proceed? How do you keep going? And there's this constant depression, really, mm-hmm. of the loss, the grieving of what I expected. Mm-hmm. So my conversations with them often go to, where do those expectations come from? Mm-hmm. Um, in the American church, we tend to assign these are the things that ought to happen, that should happen. And hook it with with scripture, and nothing in scripture tells us this is the way your child will grow up. This is the way your marriage will look. This is the type of career you're going to have. So, oftentimes in my office, we're going to be talking about the expectations that we still hang on to, mm-hmm. which keep us really in prison. 
And people live in the illusion that they control more of life than they actually do. And so, uh, you know, and, and so, and, and we're taught, you know, if you think hard enough or work hard enough or, you know, pers- uh, persist hard enough, you can fix whatever's in front of you. Well, that that's not always the case, particularly in these kinds of areas. And it's not necessarily what God wants for you. That's right. right? To live in the middle of this problem, as the mm-hmm. church would describe it, is probably it is where God God assigned that to you. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband says that mental illness for him is a gift. Mm-hmm. This is what God gave him, mm-hmm. and he's not looking to be cured. Of course, we always know that God could cure it, mm-hmm. but he's living in the diagnosis. He's being the best patient he can every day, and we're living in that reality. Our lives look very different than a lot of people mm-hmm. than the typical mm-hmm. Dallas type mm-hmm. of people, and we're good with that. This is what God has called us to. We wouldn't have looked this direction unless this type of trial, this suffering came in. It makes 2 Corinthians chapter 1 come to life for me. Mm-hmm. And that's an encouragement I give to other mm-hmm. families. These things that God is comforting you in now, He is preparing you for the future, for how He's going to use you to comfort other people. Mm-hmm. I think so, that's oh, – yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I think that's a huge thing because so many of our families – look at what did I do to deserve this? Mm-hmm. What did I do? What what could I have done differently? Do I not have enough faith? Was I not – we even have people say, was I not in the church enough? Mm-hmm. You know, were, was I doing something wrong? And, and it, it just goes back to this is God's design. Mm-hmm. This is what He blessed you with, as hard as that might sound at time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no fault in his plan here. There was nothing that happened differently. There, there's an assumption in all of that that, that, that that Michelle was alluding to, and that is that somehow if I barter with God or live mm-hmm. right with God, then he's going to take all the pain and problems out of mm-hmm. my life. Well, that's mm-hmm. not happening. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. You know, we live in a fallen world. It is a world of pain. It is a world of suffering. We're actually built to have the capability to come alongside and minister and be supportive. That, that's part of actually showing what love is. Love really shows itself in the tough moments. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, that's what you're seeing unfold. And, and we have such a th- – uh, therapeutic's not the right word, but it's the only word that's in my head right now – almost as if, well, we, we, we put someone over on the side or in a hospital or away t- so that we're not reminded that that's the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to try and, and, and cover over that 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 that, that pain exists, mm-hmm. and almost to try and anesthetize it or deny it or whatever, and all those things ultimately undercut uh, a person's spiritual development, mm-hmm. a church community's spiritual development, etc. So so. If I can do a turn here, special needs are special for a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're special for a church because they keep the church's feet on the ground mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in terms of where life is and the, what people are going through, and and it reminds us that we do live in a sometimes painful and broken world in which we need to rally around one another, mm-hmm. that God has made us to rally around one another. And we, we really hurt each other when we try to hide those things. Mm-hmm. You know, the more open we are, um, something that can be helpful in a church is for the pastor to be talking about the trials of life mm-hmm. and to and to talk about it in such a way that it's not a problem to be fixed. But mm-hmm. these, you know, these are 
intentional. This is mm-hmm. God's purpose for our lives. This is the world we live in. Yeah. yeah. And for small group leaders to not shy away from, okay, we've got someone who's living with mental illness in our group. How can we come around that person the best and learn from each other and support each other? Mm-hmm. You know, for people who are dealing with it, to be willing to talk to their friends and to not hide. When Mike got sick 20 years ago, that, that wasn't a time that we were talking about mental illness much in the church, but we both began to talk about it, and it was quickly it became a normal conversation for us that this is an illness, like you would talk about cancer mm-hmm. or you would talk mm-hmm. about some other disease that you have. It's an illness in your brain, um, or if it's a physical, mm-hmm. and to talk about it in those terms. That okay, now so we go to the doctor, we have treatment plans, we we be good patients, and to make it a normal conversation to mm-hmm. talk about the illness rather mm-hmm. than making a normal conversation to try to control it and make it, you know, eradicate it. Right. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Join us next week for part two. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.